You are listening to Chthonia, the podcast of the Dark Feminine. Chthonia's logo was designed by J.R. Malpair. Background music is Phantasm by Kevin McLeod. Hello, and welcome to Chthonia. I am your host, Breege Burke, and in our continuing series on the, um, uh, the Dash Mahavidyas, uh, in um, Hindu uh, mythology, particularly in Tantric uh, mythology. Um, today, we're going to discuss uh, Bervi today. Um, now, Bervi is, uh, again, like all of them, she's a fairly complicated figure um, who has to do with uh, both creation and destruction. Um, as a Mahavidya, we, we tend to sort of focus on her more ferocious form. Uh, which is um, more destructive. Now, Bervi is often seen as the consort of Berva, who is, um, or Kala Berva, which is another form of Shiva. And I'll talk a little bit about Berva, uh, just <clears throat> so you can get kind of a sense of, um, you know, the, the, those characteristics that Bervi is said to be a, a partner to, or they, they refer to her as a consort, which, which is true. But I think she is also, as we have talked about, uh, being a Shakti, of these particular deities. So this is another um, Shakti of, uh, of Shiva um, in a particular form. Okay, so <clears throat> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe her and describe who she is. Um, there's really three Bervis, okay? There's a cosmic Bervi, uh, there's a destructive Bervi, and then there's another Bervi who, who's described in many forms, uh, many of them very sexual in nature. Okay, <clears throat> so um, I want to talk about um, the you know these different aspects and how they come together uh, in spite of their you know maybe apparent contradictoriness. Um, there's a there's an interesting um, you know a, a connection between them, and I feel like we can go back and, and and look again at our questions that we have about the divine feminine. One of the femi- one of the questions I initially had when I started this podcast is why is the feminine so scary to people? Why why is the why is the um, why is the idea of a divine feminine? Why does it have to be in kind of this chaste and obedient form? Like why why do we feel um, women's sexuality has to be so much under control? And I feel like um, when we start, when we look at goddesses, we looked at Chinamasta, and now we're looking at Bervi, um, <clears throat> I think we may start to get some kind of an answer as to what, what is so fearful, okay? Um, but first, let's go back and talk about who is Bervi, okay? Now, she's one of the Mahavidyas, as I've mentioned, and her name means terror or awe-inspiring, okay? And like I said, there are different forms of her. There are frightening forms, and there are very beautiful forms, um, uh, Bervi is also the title used if, uh, for a, uh, a tantric adept, if you're a female tantric adept, um, is known as a Bervi. So, um, that's, uh, and, and I think that might become obvious as we, as to why, uh, um, they would have that title as we go on. Um, now the aspect of Bervi that is, um, a consort of Berva is known as Tripura Bervi, uh, tri- or I think it's usually pronounced Tripura Bervi. Um, and that she is said to reside in the Muladhara chakra, which is the uh, the base chakra, the one at the the very root. So she is associated with um, <clears throat> with our basest instincts, and that kind of makes sense when when we think start to think about some of her attributes. She's both has to do with um, 
maybe survival, okay, because the Muladhara has, is, is very much connected with survival and perhaps has a very intense and almost violent energy, but it is also the root of sexuality. So, um, so she is, she is the, um, so she would basically be at the very, very base of the spine, the base of the, the Kundalini, uh, it, you know, it's beginning point. Um, and not, again, not where usually the, uh, female sexual center is, which of course, as I mentioned, um, I think in, I'm not sure if, I think it was one on Matangi, it was either Matangi or Tinamasta, but I know I mentioned that the, um, female, uh, sexual center is in the, um, Swadhisthana chakra, which is just above the Muladhara. So, um, so it's a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> okay. So here's, here's a description of her. Um, it said, uh, she is seated on a lotus with four hands, one with a book, one with rosary beads, one with abaya mudra, and another with varada mudra. She wears red garments and wears a garland of severed heads around her neck. She has three eyes, and her head is adorned with a crescent moon. In another form, she is carrying a sword and a cup containing blood and two other hands showing abaya and varada mudras. She is also depicted as sitting on Shiva, which is more predominantly in, which is more predominant in tantric worship. Yes, the woman is always on top in tantric worship. Something to think about too when we think about the Lilith myth. Not to digress, but just to kind of kind of tie some of these threads together. Um, I think that's rather interesting that you know uh, the 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 the, um, <clears throat> the divine feminine um, these these powerful dark feminine figures are the ones that are on top. Um, she is also depicted as a queen, closely resembling Rajerajeshwari, um, who is another um, highly revered um, tantric goddess. Um, and uh, so she has this, um, and of course Rajerajeshwari means um, sort of like, you know, queen among queens, if you will. Sorry, I'm having my tea. I'm, um, I'm on a kind of a green tea um, kick right now, so uh, forgive me if I have to stop for, you know, now and again. Okay, so <clears throat> let's. So when we look at Bear V and we look at her um, in, you know, sort of her her background, the etymology of the name, um, and this has more to do with, as I mentioned, there are three Bear Vs. There's a cosmic one, there's a destructive one, and there is a <clears throat> this other uh, one that's said to have twelve forms. Okay, she has more forms. All the Mahavidyas have multiple forms, but she has more than any of them. And and those tend to be more sexualized in nature. So, you know, when we think of sex, now sex, again, is not entirely about creation. We know that. It's also about pleasure. It's about a lot of other things. But but if we think about sexual energy as creative energy, um, you know, it's sort of the opposite of destructive energy. Uh, but yet the two of them really work in tandem. In a way, it's not really that they're opposites, but more like two sides on the same coin. Um, now, here's, here's an etymology uh, of Bervi. Um, that says that she controls the changes taking place in the universe. The Mahavidyas represent the role of Adi Parashakti in the world. Tripura Sundari represents creation. Bhuvaneshwari symbolizes the sustainability of the created universe. And Kamala represents prosperity and evolution. The other Mahavidyas display the various processes that take place during the period of the universe. In this continuous cycle of creation and destruction, Bervi represents knowledge and civilization. She symbolizes the modifications of the universe by mankind and the progress of humans and detailed studies. Now, this would make her akin to Saraswati, who is um, the goddess of knowledge, but also Bervi has a lot of associations with speech, which would also make her um, uh, akin to Shiva. Um, Shiva, I, there is a myth of Shiva that I don't know if I've mentioned. Um, there's a wonderful thing called the uh, Maheshwara Sutras, 
uh, there's a wonderful recording. Uh, um, I think it's Pundit Jasraj is the one that um, the one that I've uh, recording that I have of that. Um, but the idea is that the world, um, when the world is created, everything is in silence and um, things come, you know, then, then Shiva creates, you know, the Sanskrit alphabet, which is actually the Maheshwara, Sutra, uh, Maheshwara Sutras are actually a recitation of the Sanskrit alphabet. And uh, those, are, those are the divine syllables that uh, sort of, um, you know, create the world, that give the world, uh, you know, form. Uh, and, and, and difference, you know what I mean, and, and, and make it into a, a, the world that it is, um, and not just a formless kind of silent place. And uh, so Shiva, and of course, you know, and, and usually it's, there's the crashing of thunder, because the idea that the thunderball also, you know, breaks up and, ma- and creates the sound. Certainly in um, Hindu uh, thinking in general, sound is very, very important in terms of, you know, the vibrations of the universe. You know, Plato has, has a very similar idea about uh, when he talks about like the harmony of the spheres and, and things like that. The idea of sound as being um, fundamental to um, the frequency or vibrations uh, of the universe. This is why mantras uh, recitation is so important, because reciting the mantras um, <clears throat> cre- can, creates a change in the energy around you. It's not just a bunch of stuff that you say. I mean, it actually does something to, um, to modify the environment, especially if recited over long periods of time. Um, so she has to do, so in that sense, um, she has to do with, uh, you know, you I could see the relationship to Shiva and to Sarasvati, uh, who is the goddess sort of of knowledge and intellect and, and civilization. Um, so you, there's a connection there, uh, with that. Um, <clears throat> now as far as her origins, uh, I, again, I, I prefer very heavily, um, uh, on, I, I rely very heavily on David Kinsley's, um, uh, tantric visions of the divine feminine, mainly because it's one of the only like sort of comprehensive scholarly works out there on this subject. Not that there aren't others that are out there, but um, his seems to be the most, um, <clears throat> at least one of the most complete scholarly surveys to this point. Um, now, Kinsley, um, let me just take a look at my notes from Kinsley here. Um, what does he say? Yeah, he has... Um, he says he has difficulty finding any kind of an origin myth, which he finds unusual. Um, but he does mention a, the Sharada Tilaka, which is a 9th century text, and has a hymn of praise to Bervi. And I'll read that to you. Uh, this, this, is, this has to do with the cosmic Bervi. Uh, you are so subtle that the gods cannot describe you. You are the source of the world and have no beginning. You have three eyes, a beautiful face, and four hands in which you hold a book and a rosary and with which you make the signs of assurance giving favors. You are the source of speech of everything graceful, the source of the universe itself. You wear the moon as a crest in your hair and have a white complexion like the autumn moon. You hold a jar of Amrita, immortality nectar, and make the gesture of exposition and teaching. When Shiva and Vishnu were worshipped, you were there to be worshipped as well. You are also Brahma, where speech abides. You are the nature of consciousness. You control the vital air, and by granting yogic powers, you defeat the six kinds of passions, sexual lust, greed, delusion, intoxication, jealousy, and anger. Shiva, having obtained half your body in his half-man, half-woman form, it's a side note, was then empowered to create the world. The world cannot be created without you. After worshipping you, the wives of the Siddhas, or heavenly beings, become red-eyed because of drinking too much wine. They sing your names along with the Kanadas, the heavenly beings, other heavenly beings. We worship you who, as the coiled serpent, the Kundalini, goes to the city of Shiva after passing along 
the Susmana Nadi making all the lotuses bloom, which of course is an allusion to the rising of the Kundalini. We worship you who are bathed with the flow of nectar. You are the source of all Vedas. Your form is consciousness itself. You are the creator of the world and the form of sound and meaning. You maintain the world by your power as the sun, and you dissolve the world in your form as fire. Narayani, uh, Narayani, Gori, and Saraswati are also your names. Okay, so this has more to do with her, again, her cosmical aspect. Um, and her kind of role as kind of the, there, there's definitely a suggestion there that behind these sort of, these, uh, this male triad of uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, that, um, you know, there's an implication that Bear V is um, the force that's behind that. And of course, yeah, if she's the coiled serpent of the Kundalini, we talked about that with Chinamasta as well, uh, as the copulating couple, and then her head sort of being blown off, you know, at least that's one way to look at it. Um, but the idea of the, the power of the Shakti. So Bear V, um, the, the fierceness of her, uh, it, it, it's this creative fierceness, Okay. So, um, so it's interesting. She's the, inter the I, I want to do want to talk a little bit about her, uh, association with Kundalini Shakti, just as with all of these, because, um, that's where I feel the key is to, um, why people feel feminine power needs to be controlled, even though this concept does not exist in the West. Okay. Um, we see it in other related mythologies. Um, we see it in the mythologies of, um, you know, um, you know, as I mentioned, Lilith. Um, you see it in the mythologies of um, perhaps even um, to some degree Medusa, you know, the, you know, the, the snake-haired woman. Um, you might see it in the mythology of, um, you know, it, it's, there's, there's the sense that, um, you know, I'm just trying to think, you know, of course, of course I'm all, I, I, had, I had another thought and it just kind of left my head. Um, there's, there's, there's basically, um, when we see, or we see that certain goddesses like Hecate, for instance, who start out, uh, by Hesiod as being like, you know, absolutely, she's so worth, she's worthy of praise by Zeus, you know, she's, um, she's, you know, nothing is taken from her after the battle with the Titans because she's so, she's so wonderful, you know, she's celestial, you know, she's this and that. And then late, you know, as, as time goes on, she first becomes the gatekeeper of the moon of, of the underworld, and then she becomes the, this, um, this evil like witch figure. So we see the way in which, um, you know, that the way that energy is interpreted, let's put it that way. Um, you know, the idea of this feminine power, that this power that resides on top sexually, um, and this, this Kundalini Shakti, which is something, which is extremely, extremely powerful. And I think, as I've said before, is not to be underestimated either in your individual body or as a collective concept. I mean, Kundalini Shakti is very, very powerful. It's like uh, being hit by lightning. It's, it's very um, potent. So, uh, you know, so there's, you know, so one can understand there's a reason to say, okay, yeah, you know, you want to be careful with that. You want to respect that. Um, obviously it's something very creative, but it can also be something very destructive. So you have to be careful. Um, and the way that kind of ended up being in the West is, um, well, we need to subjugate that and, you know, beat it down and put it under our control, like everything else in nature, right? Because we have control over nature, right? Yep. That's why we, um, you know, why, why we deal so well with these, uh, virus outbreaks and these other things. Anyway, sorry. I'm just, um, just a little aside right now. I'm, 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 um. Uh, I, I'm actually recording this somewhat early and I'm, I'm like coronavirus out. I'm hoping that by the time this particular episode goes live, we're not even talking about it anymore. So, um, you know, but just, but just the idea that, you know, we, we think we have so much control over nature and we actually don't. So, okay. 
So there's this identification with that. Now, um, now what we just described was the cosmic bear V, okay? Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, what you call it, her destructive form. And I'm going to refer to um, Kingsley again for that. Um, okay. Uh, one scholar interprets Bear V as a female version of Shiva in his destructive form as Kala Berva, in which he punishes people both living and dead. He notes that Kala Berva is closely associated with Yama, Lord of Death, who lives in the south. And they say this is why Shiva is also known as Dakshinamurti, whose form faces southward. Kala Berva's consort, he says, is Tripura Bervi, or Tripura Bervi, as I've heard it pronounced, um, who is constantly occupied with destroying the three worlds, hence her name, She Who is Fierce in the Three Worlds. Okay. Um, now, this is interesting. Okay. Uh, Tripura Bervi Tripura arises or becomes present when the body declines and decays, which is a natural, inevitable, and irresistible force. Uh, they said she's also evident in self destructive habits, such as eating tamasic food and drinking liquor, which wears down the body and the mind. Hey. Um, sorry, I, I'm not. People who know me privately know I'm not actually known for being the healthiest person in terms of eating habits in the world. Um, but by the same token, um, well, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything about that. Anyway, um, it's, uh, so, yeah, so anger, jealousy, and other selfish emotions, uh, strengthen Bervi's presence in the world. Uh, righteous behavior conversely makes her weaker. Um, in short, she's an ever-present goddess who manifests herself in and embodies the destructive aspects of the world. Okay, now that's interesting. Um, so she's kind of a goddess, again, like these other ones, like Matangi, like, um, you know, Chinamasta, they represent, they represent forces that are antisocial in a way. They are not about, um, you know, they, they, these are the forces of, of destruction, not the forces of creation. But they have, an, obviously, they still have an important place, okay? And that's something that's kind of hard to understand. We talk about regulating excess, which, of course, is a fine and, and very rational and, and sensible thing to do. But, um, but this is, but, but this, uh, this presence of, of Bervi, um, you know, she sort of embodies that, but at the same time, as, as I said, she embodies all of these other positive creative things, which again suggests to me that all of these attributes somehow work together. You know, we, we, tend, to, we tend to separate and we tend to sanitize. We want to say, oh, well, one must always engage in righteous behavior and avoid, you know, these other things. But I'm like, should you? I mean, you don't want them to, you know, rule your life because if they get out of balance, they'll destroy your life. Just kind of like the concept of the demonic in, um, in Hinduism. It's like, okay, the demons are, are given as much a right to exist as the gods, and they may even be granted boons from the gods um, who are considered superior. Um, but it's when they get out of control that they're a problem. Uh, not when they're just, you know, doing their thing. And that, that's kind of true of a lot of these energies. It's, it's, it's an interesting way of looking at these, this play of energies in the world, which in, really, at base, doesn't have any morality to it at all. It's more in the way that we interact with it. Um, now, the whole business about her being involved with uh, the decaying body makes me think immediately of the Greek concept of psyche, or psyche. And, uh, you know, because... Um, what the Greeks believed was that when the soul, when the person died, okay, what left your body was the, um, the psyche, which is the breath of your life, you know, that, that leaves your body and that what's left behind that goes to the underworld is the Eidolon or kind of this, this kind of weakened shadow, but the vitality of you, the psyche 
is something that, that you know, disappears with your last breath. And interestingly here, Bervi, who represents the Kundalini Shakti, which is your consciousness force, it's the power force in the body, that if it leaves you, um, you know, you know, she is, um, you know, she is that force that, um, you know, that deals with the, de- you know, the decaying body. And then, of course, when that, when that is gone, uh, now there, there is the concept of jiva in, uh, in Hinduism, uh, the idea of the jiva that, um, that can, you know, that can be, well, I think jiva, jiva atman is kind of part of, um, the whole, um, system but I know that there are prayers that are done um, when the, the person dies to keep them from turning into jiva, which would mean almost being like a ghost or being um, sort of ghoulish or coming back and praying. Again, very reminiscent of Greek and Roman practices or ancient practices of appeasement of the dead. Um, that this is, or you know, the idea that the dead had to follow, you had to follow the proper rites so that you did not um, leave the soul in that kind of suspended state. Um, so I, I just think it's interesting, you know, her association with what I think of as the Sike, you know, the, the, the pure consciousness of life, which you see in, in, in Greek mythology and in Greek thinking about death. So, um, so somewhat, somewhat interesting there. Um, now, as a Mahavidya, uh, Bervi, um, again, her name means the fierce goddess. She's a female version of Ber, uh, Berva, uh, who is, um, and I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Berva. Um, but, I'll, but just to finish this, Bervi is of a fiery volcanic red complexion with three furious eyes and disheveled hair. Her hair was matted and was tied up in a bun decorated by a crescent moon as well as by two devil horns sticking out from each side. She has two protruding tusks hanging out from the ends of her bloody mouth. She wears a red and blue garments and is adorned with a garland of skulls around her neck. She also wears a belt decorated with severed hands and bones attached to it. She is also decked with snakes and serpents, too, as her ornamentation. Sounds a lot, looks a lot like the other Mahavidyas, right? Rarely is she seen wearing any jewelry on her limbs. She has four hands, two of which are open and two of which hold a rosary and a book. Now, a rosary in this case is a mala, as I said, you know, the, the Rudraksha mala um, that one recites their mantra with. And, um, <clears throat> and of course, the book, that, that's the, her connection there to, to speech and to learning and to civilization. And the snakes and the serpents, just like with the Chinamasta, which I don't know if I even mentioned that in the episode, but um, the, the serpent connection is, um, <clears throat> certainly relates to the life force in the Kundalini. Um, as Joseph Campbell's noted, the, the serpent is usually positive in most cultures. In the West, we have tended to associate the serpent with something that is negative. Uh, the, the serpent, you know, the, the tempting, tempter of the gar- in the garden, right? Um, who is really Satan or Samael or, or something like that. Um, it also gets tied up in the Lilith myth, by the way. Um, in the, um, I think it's in the Midrash, right? But in any case, it's in, 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 in Jewish, um, you know, texts. You know, Lilith is, um, <clears throat> you know, she's either, she's either the serpent or she's in cahoots with the serpent, Okay. So that, that's very, again, two very interesting views of um, this kind of force, this kind of feminine force. Because on the one hand, you know, they, you know Bear V is, is, is sort of, she is this, but she's also considered to be um, a very beautiful and a very creative goddess. You know, she's, she's something, you know, she's honored in her own way. She's seen as the consort of Berva. Now, let me just say something quickly about Berva here. Um, Berva originates from the word biru, which means fearful. Berva means terribly fearful form. 
It's also known as the one who destroys fear or one who is beyond fear. Um, this is just basic Wikipedia I'm taking from right now, by the way. Um, one interpretation is that he protects his devotees from dreadful enemies, greed, lust, and anger. Berva protects his devotees from these enemies. These enemies are dangerous as they never allow humans to seek God within. There's another interpretation. Ba means creation, Ra means sustenance, and Va means destruction. Therefore, Berva is the one who creates, sustains, and dissolves the three stages of life. Therefore, he becomes the ultimate or the supreme. Okay? Um, but Kala Berva is, is generally, um, Kala, again, means time. And so there's the idea of the destroyer of time, which would certainly give it a link to Kali as well. Um, but Kala Berva, in, this, in one story, um, here's a, uh, <clears throat> uh, here, well, here's the origin story that Wikipedia repeats um, from another source. The origin of Bhairava can be traced to a conversation between Brahma and Vishnu, which is recounted in the Shiva Mahapuranam. In it, Vishnu inquired of Brahma, who is the supreme creator of the universe? Arrogantly, Brahma told Vishnu to worship him as supreme creator. One day, Brahma thought, I have five heads. Shiva also has five heads. I can do everything that Shiva does, therefore I am Shiva. Brahma became a little, little egotistical as a result of this. Additionally, he began to forget the work of Shiva and started interfering in what Shiva was supposed to be doing. Consequently, Mahadeva, which is another name for Shiva, threw a small nail from his finger, which assumed the form of Kala Berva, and casually went to cut off one of Brahma's heads. The skull, Kapala, of Brahma is held in the hands of Kala Berva. Brahma's ego was destroyed and he became enlightened. From then on, he became useful to himself in the world and deeply grateful to Shiva. She, in the form of the Kala Berva, Shiva is said to be guarding against each of these, uh, guarding each of these Shaktipit, uh, the Shakti temples. Each Shaktipit is accompanied by a temple dedicated to Berva. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> so another version. Um, yeah, I don't want to get too much uh, off track on Berva. Um, but there's another school of thought that says Shiva cre himself created Berva. There was one demon named by name. Uh, Let's see, Dahara Shuran, who got a boon that he could be killed only by a woman. Kali was invoked by Parvati to kill him. The wrath of Kali killed the demon. After killing the demon, the, her wrath metamorphosed—can't say this—metamorphosed into as a child. Kali fed the child with her milk. Shiva made both Kali and the child to merge with him. From this merged form of Shiva, Bhairava appeared in one of his eight forms. Since Bhairava was thus created by Shiva, he is said to be one of the sons of Shiva. Okay, so. Um, you know, so again, you know, he has this sort of um, d destructive force. Um, he's seen with a drum, a noose, a trident, and a skull, okay? And some forms, there are more than four hands. He appears without dress and with a dog. His weapons, the dog, protruding teeth, terrifying looks, and a garland with red flowers give him a sh uh, frightening appearance. Okay, so Berva is considered to be the consort of, uh, Bervi is considered to be the consort of Berva, and we have seen her um, dis discussion there. Um, now, the last thing I want to talk about, at least in terms of uh, these forms, is I'm going back to Kinsley here, where he talks about the, the many forms of the goddess. And um, he mentions the Tantrasara uh, describes uh, uh, 12 separate forms of Bervi, and taken together, they suggest a multifaceted goddess who is not limited to being the embodiment of destruction. Um, as Samprada Bervi, she gives riches. As uh, Sakala Siddhi Berva, she is the one who grants every perfection. As Baya Vidvam, some of these I have to, I should have practiced these. Baya Vidvamanasini, Baya Vidvamsini, okay, just trying to put that together 12 times fast. Bervi, she destroys all fears. As Chaitanya Bervi, she gives awakened consciousness. 
as Bhuvaneshvadi Bhairavi, she is present in creation and engenders growth. As Kameshvadi Bhairavi, she kindles sexual desire and grants sexual gratification. As Anaponeshvadi Bhairavi, she gives food. These last, uh, he says, okay, the uh, last two forms, he said, um, deserve comment as they present such a strong contrast to the destructive aspect. Okay, so uh, this is this is Kinsley again, page 172. He goes on to say, Kameshvari uh, devotes a form of Bhairavi who is mistress of Kamadeva, the god of sexual desire, namely Rati, whose name means sexual uh, intercourse. And remember, we saw Kama and Rati uh, in the uh, imagery for Chinamasta. As Kameshvari, she embodies sexual desire and lends to creation in its distinctive quality of being pervaded by the mutual attraction of the sexes. One of her dhyana mantras, that of Sampaprada Bervi, says she is intoxicated with her youth, and most descriptions of her, despite her associations with destruction, say that she is attractive, young, and shapely. Bervi's association with sexual desire and fulfillment is mentioned often in her thousand named hymns. In the Shakta Paramoda, for example, she is she who is fond of semen and menstrual blood, she who is worshipped by those who worship with semen. In her thousand named hymn, uh, this, the... Vishvasara Tantra, she is called lovely one, she whose form is semen, she who, who produces semen, who gives love, who enjoys sexual intercourse, who is dear to Kama, and who dwells in the yoni, yoni being the vagina or vaginal area. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so very interesting, um, all these different forms of her, and they're not, they're not what we would expect from a goddess who we associate with the destruction of everything or the decay of the body. Um, or does it? Um, one of the things that I've, um, <clears throat> you know, thinking about here, okay, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's this, what we, one of the things I think we can see as we've been looking at the different Mahavidyas and their aspects is that they, they, they tend to have what we would think of as auspicious and inauspicious, um, traits. They're related, all related to both creation and destruction, their forms generally in, in, you know, involve uh, garlands of skulls or heads, um, necklaces of arms you know, and limbs. Um, they're standing usually on, sometimes on a copulating couple, um, or at least on a god. Um, they always, you know, they, they have a sword, they have a, you know, something fierce about them, like either having tusks or fangs or horns or something like that. Um, their hair is always described as disheveled. And... Um, and they, but but at the same time it's you know they they all oh and they all seem to have um, serpents wound around their feet or their their neck or something you know they always they always seem to be associated with serpent imagery as well, so you know they you know in these sort of um, complex shakti forms um, they they can be quite terrifying but they also can be quite fascinating and beautiful, and if we think about sort of that fine line between. Um, uh, you know, attraction and repulsion, if it were, you know, we, we become fast, sometimes we are, or sometimes we're fascinated by things that uh, might otherwise be considered repulsive. Um, but they have to do with these, these, these kinds of forces, um, not only that are in us psychologically, but also that are just embodied in nature. And it, it's interesting to reflect that in the West, the way that this has been translated in mythologies of very similar figures that we've talked about, your Lilith figures, your Ishtar figures, and and um, and so forth. They have, um, they're not, um, they're they're seen as they're seen as evil. They're seen as demonic in the West. You know, these are these are forces that need to be expelled or exiled or um, brought under control or brought into obedience or. 
There's there's a sense of these are these are for or something to be conquered or crushed. And, you know, that's kind of worth thinking about. Like this is this is kind of our attitude towards the the feminine in its in its power. The feminine that, you know, like Lilith resides on top, that um, you know, in the way that it is in Tantra. Um, even like I said, even in traditional Hinduism, you know, Tantra is not considered to be um, <clears throat> you know, that's kind of like people if you if you tell them, you know, a pious, you know, a Brahmin Hindu that you're interested in Tantra, they're, ugh, you know, they, they probably don't probably don't want anything to do with you after that, or they probably just think, oh my God, you know, you don't, you know, you know what you're involved in, and because you are, you are dealing, it's like you you've got the fork in your hand and you're you're near the electrical outlet, you know, you got to be really careful what you do there. There's there's a lot um, of, of energy, so I think on an energetic level, in the same way that we funnel things like electricity for useful purposes, um, you know having our internet connections and, um, you know, having our electricity to have things run and charge our phones and, you know, have the electricity and the heat in our house and, you know, you know lighting and all that stuff. Um, there's, there's a tremendous amount, you know, that, um, you know, you know, that, you know, if we think, if I kind of compare it to a sort of an electrical power, uh, nonetheless, you don't want to handle that electrical power. You know, you don't, you don't want to go to a power plant and, you know, you know, open up a live wire and, you know, that's why they tell you to stay away from live wires, right? Um, it's a force, so, but, but that doesn't make it an evil force. It just means it's something extremely potent and needs to be handled very carefully. And it's, it's sort of interesting that the way that the masculine has developed in our culture is to actually just like, you know, it's it kind of, again, it's kind of like our approaches to purity, um, in, in this culture too. It's like, okay, you know, when, when anything comes that seems like it might be the form of disease or decay, we have to like kill it with, you know, let's kill it with everything we've got. Let's, you know, let's, let's all take 8 million antibiotics and like sanitize the hell out of ourselves. And it's like, you know, there's, there's a sense of like, we need to, you know, there's definitely a sense in the West. You see it in the Roman religion too. I mean, you know, get, keep the pollution away from me. Um, Probably in pagan days, there was a lot more respect for that um, you know, again, in the form of ancestor worship and appeasement and, you know, yeah, we still want the cemetery outside the community, but, you know, um, you know, we, you know, but, but nonetheless, we, you know, we, we still want to show respect because we don't want you to come back and do bad things to us. Okay. That's the way they're talking about, um, because death, obviously, yeah, that's when that force is now released and, oh, but, you know, oh, now, now it's a problem because it's kind of like, okay, if, if it's not, if that also is not properly controlled in death, um, it can, it can, you know, that's a con- that that energy can still be problematic if it's sort of, um, you know, allowed to kind of fly loose. And you notice that the gods, are the, who are the ones who um, seem to dominate in most mythologies, are the ones who have access to the thunderbolt. You know, Indra is king of the gods in, in Hinduism, and he's got, um, that's his thing, he's got his thunderbolt. Uh, that he, that, you know, Zeus is like that. Yahweh is like that. Yahweh is a, like, it was a thunder, thunder god. You know, he, that, that was his sort of original role. Um, was as a storm god, and so the storm, you know, that's that's considered to be the power and the potency, you know, and uh, and again, you know, lightning is associated with so many things, um, and with such a certain kind of a power, um, and that power is probably akin to the power that we see in the Kundalini Shakti, um, but Kundalini Shakti, like I've said, that's that's really potent stuff, and um, to awaken your own Kundalini is to kind of give you a power that. Um, you know, polite society isn't necessarily, you know, actually it, it is, it is something that would allow you to be, live up to your potential, to be a very creative person. Again, if done in the right way, you, you want to make, <clears throat> there is, there is a sense of like, if, if it's just kind of uncontrolled, 
um, that you might, um, you know, you run the risk of um, doing some, you know, doing psychological damage to yourself and maybe even physical damage. So, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a certain um, sensibility and, yeah, you know, we want to be careful with this. You know, as you know, you're, you're dealing with these forces. Um, how, do we, how do we deal with them um, effectively? But at the same time, that doesn't mean this is, this is a force we're supposed to, we should be working with, not a force that we should be trying to suppress. And I feel it's the suppression of that force that creates the kind of like really uh, toxic masculine feminine splits that we have in our culture. You know, women are only allowed to be this. Men are only allowed to be this. Men are not allowed to, you know, do anything expressive of the feminine because God forbid they, you know, you, you show something like that. And therefore, they're full of this kind of energy, but they're terrified of it and don't know what to do with it. And they take their terror out on the women around them or on society around them. You know, people who surround themselves with guns and, you know, with all kinds of things because it's like, what are you afraid of? And that's the question I, I, I kind of continually get back to. What is it that you're afraid of? And in looking at these goddesses, who to me, and again, I, I've said this before, I don't want to be repetitive, but I have said, you know, one of the things that really appeals to me about Hinduism is it seems to be a really, really accurate model of how psychologically and energetically the world works. If you look at these stories and you look at these images, they're metaphors, they're complex metaphors. They don't, you know, when we start getting into thinking, trying to look at mythology, it's like, oh, well, what's the history behind that? Did this thing really, no, it didn't really exist. The reason they look so crazy is because they're trying to say, these are not forces like you. These are not people. These are representations of something that is just mysterious beyond us and extremely powerful. So, you know, you had so you, we need to kind of be thinking of it in those terms, and I feel that the Hindu myths beautifully express this. They, they mean they're perfectly express this um, this particular um, you know this, this sort of um, what we consider to be paradoxical, or um, you know what, you know what the force is and what it looks like, and you know so you know something to think about. Um, I'm always trying to continually to get people, especially people <clears throat> who come from Western backgrounds, to think differently about what you've been taught. Um, don't take for granted what you've been taught. You, you've been taught a version of things, um, <clears throat> and that version tends to be dominated, very masculinely dominated. You know, it's about control. It's about, you know, which can be fine. I mean, control to a certain degree is fine. Um, Repression's another thing. Um, these are things that we can take to an extreme in a, in a means of trying to, you know, it's like all those zombie movies where, you know, they, they're, they're about to storm the gates and climb over and people are trying to uh, protect themselves. You know, you can't, you know, <clears throat> you, you cannot uh, quarantine yourself away from, uh, you know, from, from life, you know, creation, you know, from, from those aspects of life, okay? And you really shouldn't. Um, this, is, this is part of the experience of being alive. So uh, with that, I think I'm going to stop for today, um, and um, I think we're probably, <clears throat> let me see, how many Mahavidyas have we done so far? We've done Kali, we've done Matangi, Chinamasta, so four, not quite halfway through, but um, at the next one, and uh, then of course we're going to want to talk about the uh, Matrikas, so uh, a, bit, a bit to go here, but I, I think, I'm hoping that this is going to be a, an exploration of the Divine Feminine, um, maybe one you're familiar with, maybe you're not. Um, maybe even if you practice traditional Hinduism, you might not be quite as familiar with some of these things. But definitely worth looking at and, um, and, and thinking about and trying to understand, you know, why, why this is so important and why um, we need to acknowledge, you know, in our, 
you know, in our, in our way of, of thinking, in our way of being, um, you know, these, these forces and how they operate. And instead of trying to be afraid of them and fight with them, we need to embrace them. Um, <clears throat> men who embrace their, that, that divine feminine are probably going to be very, very powerful men, you know, because they are men who are not afraid of their feminine side, okay? Uh, and that's, that's another thing. There's another, another food for thought for uh, you guys out there. Um, okay, so with that, um, I want to say thank you again for listening. Um, I will have some more updates coming up. Um, please check out patreon.com slash Chthonia if you are interested at all in, um, you know, becoming a, uh, becoming a patron. I, I do have certain things. I mean, you know, patrons get uh, a first <clears throat> crack at the um, uh, podcast when it comes out. Plus, you know, there's some other perks and benefits that, you know, we, that I put out as, as things get done from time to time depending on what level uh, of contribution. So, um, so check that out. Um, like I said, gathonia.net, which is the home site of this, uh, still in progress. Um, we'll, you know, like I said, I will have, uh, updates on social media and everywhere else when, when I have that, um, you know, ready to go. And, um, and beyond that, uh, I just want to say thank you to my patrons again. And thanks to all who are listening. Thanks to my bunch of YouTube subscribers, by the way. It's like, wow, like the numbers are going way up uh, on YouTube. Um, not quite enough to mean that I can live comfortably on, on advertising income. But, you know, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm extremely appreciative that more and more people are, um, are subscribing. So if you like it and you think your friends will like it, tell your friends. Um, and, uh, you know, and hopefully, hopefully uh, you know, I'll continue to provide content that interests you. And with that, um, I will say till the next episode. Goodbye.